0: Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. Good. It's good to be with you all. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is always a privilege to get to preach and teach, and it's always an honor to get to open God's Word together. This morning is a special one because we, a uh, significant one, because we're actually closing out our winter session of community groups this week, and then also we have, yeah, don't cheer for that one, uh, and then we also got, we're closing out our series here looking at the list of the fruit of the Spirit. So actually what I want to do to begin our time is I want to I read it aloud together, this section from Galatians 5, because we are not just passive participants here. We are active participants. We're not just uh, passive listeners, but we as a church family are gathered here as active participants to participate in this. That's why I'll ask, are you with me? I'll ask, amen. I'll I'll ask you questions here. And we'll also read uh, some scriptures aloud together. So if you can go to that Galatians 5, starting in verse 22, in one voice, let's read this together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. Thank you, guys. This is the word of the Lord. And what I love about this section is it is, it is beautiful. This is the type of man that I strive to be, that I, I want to be, a man of love, of peace, of patience, of joy. I think about how much better my family would be served if I was this type of man. and How good is God? That the very thing that he calls us to be is the very thing that will lead to our flourishing and our world's flourishing and our family's flourishing. I just think that's such a beautiful section of Scripture. As we spend this time focusing on looking at the Spirit's work to change us, to make us more like Jesus. It's not some arbitrary thing. It's becoming more like Christ, and it is indeed beautiful. But I got I to gotta be honest with us, church family. I got uh, a little bit of deja vu standing up here. Because exactly a month ago, I stood up here as we were walking through this, this list in the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and I, I taught on patience. <laughs> and I, I had then a very deep feeling of inadequacy and conviction, and rightfully so, because I am not a patient man. I, I need, I, somebody actually asked me, how, how you doing being patient? And I was like, why are you asking me this? Uh, it's <laughs> conviction yet again, it's like... And I tell you, I'll tell you, it is a cruel punishment to teach on something you deeply struggle with. I feel like I'm just naked up here, like, ah, <laughs> it's just very uncomfortable. And today I feel all this again. I told you I have deja vu, but I feel all this is cranked up to the max because this morning we've got the one you've been probably dreading or you've been wondering, who's the poor sucker that has to teach on self-control? And it's me. I am the poor sucker that has to teach on self-control because ain't nobody wanting to get the microphone this morning. Nobody's like, you know what, I would lovely volunteer for this. And I have to just give Jose a bad time here because this guy gets love and joy and peace and goodness and faithfulness, and he sticks me on patience and self-control. Uh, this is my last time ever teaching at 26 West, so uh, it was good to be with you guys. Arizona, will you still welcome me back? No, uh, I just picture Jose saying, actually, Stephen, uh, I was doing the Mr. Miyagi, and while you thought you were painting the fence... I just knew you needed some serious growth, so I thought you'd fly or die, baby bird, right? Good luck. Here's the thing about self-control. I just say the word, and just like a wave of conviction flows over. It's people are like kind of squirming in their seats like, do we have to talk about this even? Uh, a wave of conviction covers them. But if for some reason you're wondering if you struggle with self-control, you're just wondering, like, I don't know if I really struggle with self-control. Let's just put a camera in your car for the next week, and let's just see How self-controlled you really are when nobody's looking. Let's let's see, or if if on the off chance that I'm feeling real, you know, proud of myself, and I'm starting to think I I got this thing mastered, you know, when it's 3 a.m. and Judah's been up four times after we wrestled to get him down to bed, and you know, you bring the newscast to our home at 3 a.m. and be like, live look in the Collins home, how's Stephen doing with self-control? Horrible, right? It's like not good. Think about, like, if you think you, you maybe don't struggle with self-control, let's put, a, let's put a bowl of peanut butter and chocolate Tillamook ice cream in front of you with an extra scoop of peanut butter on the side because the Lord is good. Let's see how self-controlled you really are. Or maybe you're like, I'm not into sweet, Stephen. I'm more into savory. Okay, let's put some Juanitas chips, you know, freshly warmed, with a nice bowl of guacamole in front of you, and we'll just see the self-control that is just, you know, pouring abundantly out of you. If you're so self-controlled, how's that gym membership going? How many times you got, you got four alarms in the morning or you snoozing them, right? You get the point. We all struggle with this, right? Like, seriously. Uh, joking us, I need this message. I need to grow. And I think you feel it too, right? A friend at Community Group actually told me this quote from N.T. Wright, I thought this was really good. He said, all the fruits of the Spirit are easy to fake except self-control. We, we can't fake this one. And we feel it, right? We can't fake it. See, in our lives, there are things that we want to get under control, but we haven't been able to do it. In our lives, there, there are things that we, we feel I, I, this is out of control. Maybe it's patterns of anger and just having these blow-ups. And it's been like this for decades. And you, you don't want to do it, but just when you get in that argument things escalate and you find yourself yelling, screaming, using words that you don't mean to use, but all of a sudden you're down in that same path again and again, and it's out of control. Or maybe it's lust, and you've been looking at the same stuff on a a screen for years in the cycle of guilt and shame and then vowing to change and then some time goes by and then it's just back to the same old thing. Maybe it's anxiety and fear that's paralyzing. Like, I don't want this, but it feels out of control in my life. Maybe it's out of control spending that is bringing you to a place of disaster financially. Maybe it's out of control eating. And you know, joking aside with that, that is some, a serious thing that some of us struggle with. Or maybe it's out of control emotions. The list goes on. In our lives, there are things that we want to get under control, but we haven't been able to do it. So the question that hangs over today the question that must be answered today, the question that you're probably even just feeling so far, even in this short time together, is how do we have self-control? Like, how do we actually have self-control? Well, one answer is we need God. Like, we actually need God. And I don't, I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. It's not some, like, cute pastor thing to say. Like, we need God. I need God. So I just want to begin our time by praying together. Would you join me? Uh, let's ask that he would move in this space. So... Father, I stand up here even wrestling with some, I was telling others, wrestling with some anxiety even being up here of just feeling very inadequate to teach this. As I know, I'm a broken man who needs you and so I pray that you would use this time. uh, You've used broken men in the past to speak things that were really helpful and so Lord, I pray that you would do that today. Lord, I pray that you would give us all ears to hear. I pray that you would move in power in this place. Lord, I pray that you would... Help us be more self-controlled spirit of the living God. Would you fill us spirit of the living God? Would you dwell in this place and reside upon us, Lord? And would there this place today be a place that we can look back on and say something happened here in our lives? God, you moved in a way that produced real change, not because of anything I said, but because you are able and your word is powerful and you are enough. So, Lord, I pray big prayers for that in this place. Not because I'm awesome or I'm articulate or because I'm gifted, but because you are an amazing God. We pray this all in your name and all God's people said, amen. So the question is, how do we have self-control? Uh, I, got, I got a lot of content. I will confess to you, I got a lot of content this morning because I need a lot of help. <laughs> I got a lot to cover and I, I think we all need a lot of, of help in this area. I think it's the one thing as we look at the list uh, in, in Galatians 5, it's like, oh man, this one, Right? So I got six things that we're going to cover, a lot of ground. We're going to dive in. So number one, how do we have self-control? First, we must see it as freedom. If you're taking notes, write that down. See it as freedom. If we're going to have self-control, we must frame self-control rightly in our cultural moment. Self-control is a loaded word for many people. What do I mean? Well, in a world obsessed with the self, self self-control can be seen actually as suppressive. And me actually calling us to be self-controlled could be seen as oppressive. In a world that lives by the mantra of be true to yourself, Jesus is called to deny yourself and die to yourself is offensive and stands in sharp contrast. In a world that says, follow your heart, do we obey our desires? That's the question. Do we obey our desires? Or do we surrender our desires to God? The question is: which truly brings freedom? Do we do what we feel and do we live our truth? Or do we do what we're commanded and live according to the one who says he is the truth? And his name is Jesus. The question is, is self-control suppression and oppression, or is it freedom and liberation? If you're under the age of 30, this, this is not some foreign concept. This, this is the air you're breathing. For many of those that are becoming to youth on Wednesday nights, this is just the air you are breathing. And a really helpful quote from a pastor and author named Jay Kim says this. On the surface, self-control seems limiting, even stifling. Against the backdrop of our culture's idolatry of individualism and its religious devotion to self-gratification, self-control seems old-fashioned at best and oppressive at worst. But a life without limits is a life without freedom. In research studies and social experiments, children have been observed playing on two types of playgrounds one with boundaries and another without. In nearly all cases, the playgrounds without boundaries leave children paralyzed in fear, while those with boundaries elicit freedom of movement, individual creativity, and higher levels of communal harmony. I'll just pause here for a second. Our front yard is not fenced, and we never play in it with our kids. Not because there's anything wrong with the front yard. Our backyard is fenced. And the level of fun and joy and just freedom that comes in the backyard that is fenced is far greater than the boundary-less front yard. Self-control means setting boundaries that free us. Specifically, it frees Christ's followers from the paralyzing power of our deceitful hearts and its path of reckless indulgence. What I want to build off, this is I think a really helpful quote from J. Kim. He said, what he's getting at here, is God is not after killing your joy. Self-control is not about suppressing your joy. It's actually the conduit to our joy and freedom and life. That God is not some dictator in the sky trying to squelch your freedom. He's actually trying to enable it by calling us to this counterintuitive reality of self-control. If you view self-control as suppression, you're actually robbing yourself of true freedom. If you view self-control as oppression, you're actually robbing yourself of true liberation. See, true freedom is not found in autonomy or independence. That's actually the first lie that Adam and Eve were told in the garden. True freedom is not found in autonomy or independence or in the absence of masters. It's found in being under the right one. And his name is Jesus. See, being under another's rule is terrifying unless this master loves you unless this master dies for you, is faithful, is good, and whose way is truly for your flourishing. See, self-control, conforming our life to the way of Jesus is freedom. It is life. So first, how do we have self-control? We must see it as freedom. And number two, if you're taking notes, number two, we must view it as more than mere willpower. What do I mean? Well, see, the world often thinks the secret to self-control is simply willpower. It's simply the upside-down Nike, right? How many of us, how many of us either love Nike or work at Nike, you know, we're in Nike land, right? Oh, two of you. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. It's the, it's the inverse of Nike. Just don't do it, right? That's how our world views self-control. Just don't do it. Or the old uh, 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 comedy skit where the, the guy is the counselor, and the people are coming in with their problems, and he says, I have two words for you. Stop it, right? As as, as if it's that simple. And and the myth is seen all over our world in a mountain of self-help books, in, in life coaches, and it's even gotten into the church. If you just try harder, you can change. If you just try harder, you can change. Here's five easy steps to live in the non-anxious life. Here's five easy steps to, you know, fighting your anger and conquering, you know, these, these bad habits. You know, if you, if you just take these five easy steps, add in some willpower and some grit and sprinkle on some Christian stuff and voila, you're good to go. I've seen this message, right, growing up. I see, I've seen it. But I think we all realize we need something deeper than that. If it was that simple, you already done it by now. We need something deeper because, like, let's take a step back here. What causes, what causes an elite athlete to forego the glory of, you know, that peanut butter and chocolate with the extra scoop of peanut butter on the side? That one's for free. You can go to take that tonight. What, for, what causes them to forego that glory? What causes them to forgo the wonder of fried chicken? My personal favorite is Nashville style. If we go to Dave's Hot Chicken, I'm doing that sucker hot. I want to be sweating. I want to be blowing my nose. Uh, some of you guys, you go there and get it mild. and I'm like, why? Like, what, are we, what are we doing? I want that thing hot. I want things out. What, what causes this athlete to forgo these wonderful things, the kingdom of God breaking in through a fried chicken sandwich, right? Self-control. No. Because... They want to perform and compete more than they want the food. Like fundamentally, what causes an athlete to do this? They want to perform and compete more than they want the food. What causes a college student who, who you know, can barely get up at you know, by 9 a.m.? How many of you were there, right, in college? You know, it's, it's funny, right? A, a high school senior can get up just fine. And then you go to college and it's like, I can't even get to a 10 a.m. class. Like what's going on there? But then all of a sudden that same student starts their career and can magically be to work by 8 a.m.? What's going on there? They want the job and all that comes with it more than they want the sleep. See, the world is full of people who have enormous self-control in some areas and then really lack it in others. What's going on there? Why? Desire. Desire, the power of the heart. A key to self-control is the higher want wins the day. The higher want wins the day. See, the issue for us with self-control is not primarily willpower. It is want power. It's not primarily willpower. It's want power. See, the Bible echoes this. this isn't my ideas. The Bible echoes this. The Bible locates the center of our being, the engine of our lives. We've got some Intel people here, maybe not Nike, but Intel, the operating system of our lives, which I don't totally pretend to understand, but you do, so thank you. Uh, the center of our being, the Bible locates it into the heart. Proverbs 4.23, it'll be up on the screen here. Above all else, guard your heart For everything. Somebody say everything this morning. For everything you do flows from it. For everything you do flows from it. See, self-control is not primarily a battle of will, but a battle of want. The heart. See, Jesus, when he calls his first disciples, what's the first question he asks them in John? He doesn't ask them, what do you think? He doesn't ask them, what do you believe? He asks them, what do you Want. How many times has Jesus asked somebody that? What do you want? Because he knows. Want and desire and the heart directs our lives. If you're taking notes, write this down. Fundamentally, only a greater love can drive out a lesser one. Only a greater love can drive out a lesser one. In that same, uh, same J. Kim uh, article, was, it, he was talking about this this woman who actually fought off a polar bear to protect her kids. And it was just like, this is amazing, right? But like, a mother will sacrifice for her children even to the point of death, not because of the will. It's not like, okay, I'm going to hype myself up, polar bear, let's go. A mother will sacrifice for her children even to the point of death, not because of will, but because of love. So the key to self-control isn't that I need some new information or some new willpower. I need new desires and new affections. I need a new heart. And I got good news and bad news. The bad news is you can't, you, you can't do that on yourself. In the same way that you can't do open heart surgery on yourself. Nobody's laying there and be like, Doc, I got it. Like letting it rip. I'm sure there's some medical drama that, that's got that episode though. Like I could, I could save my insurance money. Just like letting that sucker rip. You can't just conjure this up. You cannot do a heart transplant on yourself. You're dead. Like It's it's not working. But good news, that's the bad news, but good news is God actually provides it. Ezekiel 36 says this. This is what God provides. God says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you. So that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God does a heart transplant. So how do we have self-control? We need to go beyond mere willpower. We need heart change, a new engine, a new operating system. And the only one who can truly deliver is the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in Jesus, we get new hearts, we get new desires, we get a new engine, a new life that wants God, that wants His way, that wants His will for our lives. And this enables us, this new heart from the Spirit that God provides actually enables us to truly have the ability to have self-control, to truly have self-control from the core of who we are. Are you with me? Are you with me? (laughs) So big picture, how do we have self-control? When you see it as freedom, we need more than mere willpower. We need something beyond us. We need a heart transplant. And number three, wage the war within you. You've put your faith in Jesus. If you haven't yet, put your faith in Jesus. I invite you today to turn to him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's the one that gives us new life. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you have a new heart, you have a new life, you have the spirit in you and yet you struggle with self-control. What's going on? I, I have put my faith in Jesus and I came up here and said, I struggle with self-control. What is going on here? Did I, did I not get the right download? Do I need a system update? Like did I, was it was a botched heart transplant? Like what's going on here? Right? No. First Peter 2 verse 11 says this. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Which wage war against your soul. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you now have a war within you. The Bible uses a lot of different images for this. It could be the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh is our old way of living, and in the spirit, this new way of living, the old man versus the new man, sin and death versus obedience and life, all these images are saying that pre-faith in Jesus, there was no war. There was no war in my heart. I just lived out of the sinful desires of my flesh, no problem. Old man flesh, Stephen, I wasn't tore up by sin. You were just, you were doing you. You were living your life. But now that we have the Spirit living in us, now that we are in Christ, we now have a battle inside of us. See, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he won the decisive battle over the penalty of sin in our lives. He's taken away its ruling power over our lives. Amen and amen and amen. But we have yet gotten to the day when its presence will be one day fully eradicated. And until that day, there is war in our hearts. And I don't know about you. I'm going to ask you, how many of you feel that this morning? How many of you feel that this morning? See, self-control... It presupposes a divided self. See, there are things in us that we feel in our lives, like real things that we really are experiencing. It's not fake. I really feel this. But I am not supposed to act upon it. That we should not do. There are things that I feel that I, rather, rather than acting upon those, I need to take captive those feelings. I need to resist those urges. I need to wage war against those desires. Look at what Galatians 5 says. This is right before and after the fruit of the Spirit. I just want to look at the context of what Paul is saying here. Starting in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. For they are in conflict. You could say they are at war with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Just pause for a second. Fundamentally as Christians, we say we belong to Jesus. We do not run our life. Jesus is Lord. And there are things that I feel, that I really feel, that I am not called to act upon. My feelings are not king in my life. Jesus is. And As a Christian, that's what we fundamentally say that my feelings and my emotions are not Lord. Christ is. Then he goes on to say, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit Is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh or have killed the flesh with its passions and desires. See, Paul here in this section, he is painting a picture of what a life led by the flesh versus a life led by the Spirit looks like. And that first list of the flesh is a life out of control or you could say under the control of the flesh and the old man. So how do we subdue the flesh? How do we crucify it, as Paul says, with its passions and desires? How do we have self-control over the anxiety that plagues us, over the fits of anger that have eroded our relationships, over the division, the drunkenness, the lust, and more? How do we have this self-control? Well, fundamentally, friends, we must recognize we are in a battle. We must recognize that we are in a battle. The best way is to lose a war is not know that you're in it. The best way to lose a war is to not even fight. The best way to lose a battle is not know that you're in it. Friends, the Christian life is a war. The Christian life is a war. But it is not against liberals or conservatives, It is not against Hollywood or big tech. It is a battle against Satan, against the powers, against evil, and against the sin that is in our hearts. For us, for you and I, for me, the most frequent enemy we fight is the one within us. Sin and the old man. And some of us, we have been taught to think that the greatest enemy is out there. But actually the enemy that we fight most frequently dwells right in here. with me? So what are our weapons of war to fight and have self-control against the battle within? Well, Paul said it in verse 16. He said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And this leads us to our fourth way to have self-control. We must walk in the Spirit's power. If we're gonna have self-control, we must walk in the Spirit's power. See, part of my job here As I stand on this stage, even when I feel inadequate to do so, part of my job here is to remind us of what is true. And God's word is truth. God's word is truth. We're looking at a lot of Bible today because I need a lot of help today. We're looking at a lot of Bible today because we need it. God's Word is true. And Hebrews 12 says that this Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it gets at our hearts. It gets at the engine of our lives. 2 Timothy 3 says that this Word, it trains us for godliness. That it, it trains us for righteousness. That it actually changes our lives. Ephesians 5 said if you're going to stand firm in the war, if you're going to stand firm in the battle, brothers and sisters, you're going to need the sword of the Spirit, which is the What? The Word of God. The Bible is the only offensive weapon we have in our fight, friends. And these scriptures are the weapon the Spirit gives to equip us to fight sin, to equip us to fight the flesh, and to equip us to have self-control. We need to walk in the power of the Spirit, which means we need to get in our Bibles. We need to get in the scriptures. We need to walk in the power of the Spirit, which also means praying and communing and surrendering to the Spirit who lives within us, Christians. We need to walk in the power of the Spirit, which means having brothers and sisters who help us kill sin, who help us spur us on to keep fighting, who help support us in the war. There's no John Rambo here in the Christian life. There's no one-man wrecking crew. There's no John Wick just, just blasting, right? Like We need a band of brothers and sisters who are going to be our platoon to help us fight the war. If you want to lose your battle against sin, live enslaved to our passions. If you want to not experience self-control, go at it alone. Don't get in the Word and be prayerless. See, nobody here is saying like, if you spent any time in church at all, you're not sitting here saying, Stephen, I never thought to get in the Word. I, I Pray? How do you spell that? Like, community. Like, I never thought, the the question is not, do you know this? The question is, are we actually doing it? Like, are we truly doing this? If I gave you a multiple choice test, you you would would pass it. But are we actually doing it? And the question, like, you also might be wondering, like, why does this even matter? Like, does it, like, why does this really matter? Like, dramatic language, appreciate the passion, Stephen, but like, f- waging war against our sin and the flesh, like, why does this matter? Well, 17th century theologian John Owen famously said this, and from the moment I read it, it's something that has stuck with me. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. The sword of the Spirit is not a Halloween costume. It is not cosplay. It is a real weapon to wage a real war within us. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you, even more than John Owen. Hear Paul in Romans 8. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Do you see the stakes? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is how we show we are children of God. If you have put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit really lives in you. Like, there's so much we could say about just that text. Like, if if you have put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit really lives within you. And you have real power to really change, to really kill sin, and to really not gratify the desires of the flesh and really live a new life. Because, again, you really have the Spirit of God within you. We are not helpless. You are not helpless. I am not hopeless. We collectively are not hopeless, for we have the Spirit of the living God. And God did not give us a spirit of fear. But he gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. He's given us this. It's good news. He has given it. It's not something we conjure up. Not do better, try harder. We have been given power from on high. And the stakes are high. Like... The Bible says this is a matter of life and death. See, those who have a new heart from the Spirit will want the things of the Spirit. They'll desire to live out the fruit of the Spirit. They're going to seek to live in step with the Spirit, waging war on the flesh. This is the desire of those who have a new heart. Uh, Just let me pastor us for a second here, though. Some of us, we're really struggling in in the room. Like I said, you've, you've been wrestling with that same thing that's been out of control for a long time, and you feel like you're losing the battle right now you feel like you are losing the war i just want to encourage you the very fact that you're here the very fact that you want to fight the very fact that you even feel tore up about it is evidence of the spirit's work within you that is evidence of the spirit's work within you you didn't naturally come up with that that is grace if you're sitting here and you're like i feel like a failure but i want like i want the spirit help me be encouraged that is the spirit at work within you. Be encouraged. Also, another quick aside, just to pastor Some of us, we've got addictions. We've got a medical diagnosis. We've got serious illness. And part of your fight likely looks like seeing professional counseling. It likely looks like seeking wisdom from a doctor. It may even involve potentially taking medication. All of this can assist in our fight. Please do not hear me say, That if you just read your Bible and pray and get in community, that your clinical depression due to a chemical imbalance will just go away. Like some of us have heard that story, and it is so damaging. We live in a broken world, but amen, God is able. But we live in a broken world, and in God's grace, he gives these additional gifts as well for the fight. We live in a broken world, but God is able, and he gives grace. I just want to, speaking of God's grace, let me expound on this for a second. This is is at the very heart of self-control. See, God's grace, it it fuels us. God's grace, it motivates us. God's grace, it compels us to live a life of self-control. As theologian D.A. Carson says, the Christian life is marked by grace-driven effort. If you're taking notes, write that phrase down, grace-driven effort. The gospel is not opposed to effort. As the old hymn goes, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Right, like we, In response to the great things that God has done for us, the natural response is, I'm going to give my all. The gospel is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. It is opposed to earning. We can never earn it. It's grace. But grace-driven effort helps us live self-control. Titus 2 says this. He spells it out. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, or other translations say trains us, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Look at what Paul says here in Titus. God's grace revealed in his word from the Spirit trains us, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives. This is not natural to us. We need to learn it. We need to be taught it. We need to be trained in it. It is not natural. We must be trained by the grace of God to have self-control. God's grace, Jesus dying for us to redeem us, the very gospel itself helps us live self-controlled lives. See the gospel, one of my favorite author and pastors, Tim Keller. He says, somebody who's shaped my walk, maybe more than just about anybody. Tim Keller says this the gospel is not merely the ABCs of the Christian life, it is the A to Z. The gospel is not merely the minimum required doctrine to entry in the kingdom of God. It's how we make all progress and growth in the kingdom. When we believe the gospel, when we receive God's grace and walk in the power of the Spirit we can grow in self-control. Amen? We're going to need to walk in the Spirit's power if we're going to have self-control. So, taking a step back. I know this is a lot, but I know I need a lot of help. Taking a step back, how do we have self-control? Big picture. we got to view it as freedom. we got to have more than mere willpower. We're going to need a heart transplant that God gives by His grace. Amen? We've got we to move beyond that willpower. We've got to wage the war within. We've got to walk in the power of the Spirit. And number five, we've got to remember Jesus' return, the appearing of our Savior. We remember the hope of glory. I want to connect some dots here. 1 Corinthians 9. This is something that Titus actually alluded to in that passage, but I want to connect some dots in 1 Corinthians 9. Starting in verse 24. Do you not know... That in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What good news. Therefore... I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. This is, again, athletic metaphor. We're not talking about self-harm here. We're talking about self-discipline. We're talking about self-control. Controlling our body, making it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Notice what Paul's logic is in this text. Notice what he's saying. An Olympic athlete exerts great self-control to win the prize. Great self-control. And that prize will fade. How many of you have seen those those old Olympic stadiums that are now in disrepair in Greece? That are now just like wasted away. This athlete exerts great self control to win a prize that will fade. But, church, I got some good news for us. We got something better than a gold medal. we got something better than a Lombardi trophy coming our way. So how much more should we be spurred on to exert great self-control as we strive against the battle of sin, the flesh, and selfish desires, knowing that the crown of life, eternal life, that the restoration of all things, the very kingdom of God, the hope of glory awaits us. How much more should we have self-control? How do we have self-control? By remembering the prize By remembering the prize. Friends, following Jesus is hard. It is hard. It takes great effort. If anybody told you otherwise, they were lying. It takes great effort. His way is the narrow path. But it is worth it. It is worth it. Church, we need to be reminded of this, that one day we will meet Jesus face to face. And on that day, how will we wish we would have lived? Whose approval will we have wanted to live for? Whose way will we have wanted to obey and mark our lives? His. And remembering this prize, remembering this beauty, remembering this promised eternal life in Christ enables us to have self control. Remember the glory that awaits us, brothers and sisters. It is as real as the chairs you're sitting in. It is our promised destiny. Remember the glory. Last one, how do we have self-control? Number six, imitate the example of Jesus. In closing, let's look at Hebrews 12. Again, I wanna give us a lot of scripture because my words can, can be helpful, but God's word is true and authoritative and changes our lives. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Let's keep the the athlete image going. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is our example. He was empowered by the Spirit. And all of this focus these last eight weeks as we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit, talking about formation, it's all about us becoming more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. See, looking at the life of Jesus, nobody exerted more self-control than he. God, the preeminent one who is before all things, who who made all things, who's above all things, became flesh and was born in a humble stable. Nobody exerted more self-control than Jesus, and we are called to pattern our life after his Jesus endured injustice. Jesus endured mockery and pain and lived a life embodying self-control. Why? Hebrews says it. He says he did it for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. Remember, only a greater love can drive out a lesser one. The joy of saving you. Of making you a son or a daughter of redeeming your life. That's why he did it. That's why he exerted so much self-control. He did it because of the joy of loving us. So friends, we can trust Jesus. We can surrender to Jesus. We can invite him to change us, even when it's hard. He has earned our trust. He deserves our allegiance, and he is owed our Living a life of self-control will not be easy, but it is worth it. We failed a thousand times. I stand up here first to raise my hand, failed a thousand times in this. So, what we're gonna do is we're gonna give space here in just a minute for confession and repentance. I know I need it. I'll be up there with you. So, church family. Let's come from this space. As the band comes forward, let's come from this place with new inspiration, with new hope, with new motivation for self-control. Let's spur each other on to live it today because with the Spirit's help, we truly can have self-control. We truly can have self-control. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.